Welcome to a, a new venture, an extension of the Oxblogger media footprint. My name is obviously Oxblogger. That was what I was christened. This is a, a bit of an experiment. It may be a one-off. It may be a series. Who knows? I'm with Dan Curtis, who you will recognise from the Ox Files, which were run during one of the lockdowns that we've endured over the last year. This, for me, is really exciting. Right? We don't know each other. We've, we've chatted once before, but I've been reading your blog for what seems like a hundred years. So to actually kind of see you in person and to, to, to meet you and to talk to you about football, to talk about Oxford is a real thrill for me. That's too kind. Well, it turns out that I've been reading your stuff for even longer because you were editing the Yellow Fever. Well, that's right. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a fanzine. Do, do fanzines even exist anymore? Do people know what a fanzine is? Do youngsters know what a fanzine is? I doubt it. They're missing out, though. <laughs> um, yeah, honestly, I, I've absolutely loved your blog. My wife used to say, used, whenever she used to come in and see me on the laptop, rather than thinking I was doing anything nefarious, she'd say, are you reading Bloody Ox Blogger again? So, and <laughs> I always was. So, uh, absolutely love your stuff. Uh, I know lots and lots of people do. Um, I once posted on Rage Online, I said, has anyone been reading Oxblogger? This was right in the early days of Oxblogger. And I said, something, oh, it's, a, it's a brilliant read. And somebody said, oh, everyone knows who he is. And I never did. And it, I don't think anyone knows who you are, do they? Are, are no. you well known? No, 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 I'm definitely not well known. I mean, people who know me know me. But funnily enough, I actually saw that comment. I remember that comment because I, I knew, because when it said, oh, we all know who he is, I, I thought, you don't really so <laughs> oh, how funny that you actually read it <laughs> yeah that was me i understand i'm a big big fan and i, I think i speak for a lot of uh oxford united fans We've, we just love your blog it's one of the best things about being an oxford fan uh, and i'm not just saying that to make you blush on camera i assure you so what's this about what we're we doing what set out what we're doing here then okay so we're gonna we're gonna go deep aren't we we're, we're, we're seeking out some deep oxford united cuts we think that fans are well served in the world of podcasts and the world of current Oxford United. So we decided we were going to go and delve into the archives. And given it's uh, it's the Euros, I mean, obviously I'm a one-dimensional character, so I don't know anything about the Euros or anything outside of uh, the world of Oxford United. So we decided that we would uh, select uh, two uh, ex-Oxford United 11s. I would go for a uh, 11 of uh, Oxford United players from outside of the UK. And uh, Dan would select a Oxford United eleven of full internationals, and we would compare them and uh, shock each other, I suppose, as to who we've come up with. Is that a fair way of it? Uh, I think that's a good description. Yeah, um, I had I had one other rule that I added to my list, which was I had to have seen them play. So obviously, there's some great names from Oxford's past. You know, people like Colin Todd, who was a really established England international. Um, Dave Roberts, I think, from the 70s, never saw them play. Even Mark Wright never saw him play, so out. Um, right. So it has to be somebody that I, I watched in an Oxford shirt. Oh, they were all watching, and how they were made to play by Gary Briggs. All right, I have gone for, who do you think I've gone for? I thought about Ian Walker, uh, England, England uh, ex-England keeper. Here we so go. So it probably leaves one which is Paul Key, isn't it? Yeah, that is Paul Key. Um, extraordinary sideburns in that picture. Um, 
Uh, Paul Key, yeah, I, I never saw Ian Walker play and I couldn't think of any other uh, UK international goalkeepers that we've had. So Paul Key, famous, I guess, for general flappage and kind of letting weak soft goals in, but also possibly the most timely, brilliant display in the history of crap goalkeepers for Oxford, uh, away at Tranmere, the famous day at Tranmere. I can't, I can't think of many better performances by a crap Oxford goalkeeper, that's for sure. <laughs> um, Paul Key, the only one I could really think of, to be honest, who, who qualified. Now, Paul Key is a bit, I mean, I did see him play, but he's, um, he's definitely a, um, a bit of a blind spot. I, my, the early 90s, I was at university, obviously, I was just partying too hard. And, uh, and so th th there's a big blurry period um, of Oxford United players and Paul Key's definitely one of them, but he was, so I mix him up with people like Ken Vasey and um, uh, not Paul Reese so much, because I think he was a bit of a standout player from around that sort of time. But um, yeah, he, he didn't go down well with the Oxford fans, as far as I remember. Yeah, no, he wasn't massively popular. Uh, I think there's always other keepers who the fans just preferred, probably because they were better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, obviously at the time, I think everyone loved Paul Reese because he had that unbelievable. Was it his debut at Derby where he saved everything? Yeah. And yeah, um, he's also like super cool, Paul Reese. He's like five foot two. Wasn't he married to an, a famous DJ as well? Possibly. I might. Yeah, I might be making. I've not come across that. I, I, you know, I got pretty stuck on the uh, that Derby game, and 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 it's well worth looking back on that because it, even, even the edited highlights is just him bouncing around, putting, you know, pulling off amazing save after amazing save. Go on then, OB, tell us, tell us your one. So, um, so when I was thinking this through, one of the things that really struck me about this is that it seems that, I guess because goalkeeping is such a specialist area and, uh, you know, plenty of players sort of came over and... Uh, you know, they could just sort of slot into that that position. It, there was no kind of, you don't have to kind of get into the culture of the rest of the team, be able to play in that style or anything like that. So so we've got quite a lot to choose from. Um, obvious uh, uh, people, Paul London, I think most people will go for. I'm not sure who was the number one in that relationship, but Andre um, Arenze was the other one who played in at least one World Cup. Um, and, and and was terrible in that. Keeper's got to keep going. No, 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 no. So um, so we've got those two. Uh, who else we've got? Um, uh, we've got Andrea Guatelli. Oh my God! Yeah. So uh, who came in by Jim Smith uh, when he decided to save the um, save us from conference uh, relegation to the conference. But who I've gone for, I've decided to go to play it pre pretty safe, I think. And I've gone fairly contemporary with this one. So I've gone for Benji Bushell. A genuine Bushell? international? He was. Yeah. And, and at a time that, that there was a period after he left Oxford, I think that's that's the only professional football he was playing was international football. <laughs> I, I kind of felt very warm towards him because he came in. Uh, he, he wasn't there at the start of the season, as I remember. Um, he sort of came in as a bit of a backup to Sam Slocum. But, and, and like you say, everybody else was kind of like on fire. You know, everybody, ev it, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a favourite in that 2015, 2016 promotion team. And then there was Bichelle, who who sort of, 
kind of tended to flap at a few crosses, you know, couldn't kick brilliantly. Didn't even feature in, in some of the key games of the season when I look back. So um, he, he wasn't he wasn't playing um, against uh, Swansea and, and, and others. He only played 20 odd games, but I really liked him. I just I just I kind of warmed to him just because of that. So so he get that's why he gets my, uh, you know, my vote. Centre back. There we go. So that is Mark Watson. There was a period from sort of Matt Elliott, Phil Gilchrist, that sort of era, era so the mid, uh, mid-90s, where we just seemed to kind of sign up centre-backs, you know, really good quality centre-backs. Darren Purse came in, and then, and then we brought in Mark Watson, who was uh, a Canadian international and, and a, a, just a, a really good defender. And it, but it, you could almost track our demise from that 96 uh, you know, height, you know, the heights of 96, you could almost track the demise through the signing of centre-backs. So then, then we got on to uh, Brian Wilsterman and then we got on to Phil Whelan um, and, and it kind of went downhill from there. But, but uh, Watson was, an, was a class defender. His, his exit is fantastic as well because he, our worst ever season, which was 2000, 2001, which is worthy of one of our, one of these, uh, I think, all on its own. Uh, Watson at the start of that season simply hid so they were trying to offer him a new contract and he just ran away so he ran away and he and he, he hid and uh, he he refused to re- re- return calls at one point Dennis Smith was talking to his agent which turned out not to be his agent it was a stooge um, and uh, and Watson basically sort of evaporated from from the scene uh, which is probably the best way to leave that particular team because he knew what was coming this following season. Um, he's now quite a respected coach, I think, in, in Canada. He's quick. I remember him being really quick, which is kind of what we needed. If he's playing alongside Phil Whelan, we definitely needed somebody quick. I think most people benefit from playing alongside Phil Whelan as well because it automatically makes you look better. So <laughs> There's players all over the country who are desperate to sign alongside Phil Whelan. <laughs> Just to that, that was the unique selling point of the club at the time. <laughs> look good alongside Phil Whelan. Right, who have you gone for next to him? Uh, it, well, you have, to, you have to say this in exactly the right way. You have to describe this as Rhodes Scholar, Kerry Evans. Or is it Serry Evans? I'm not sure. Kerry, definitely Kerry. Definitely Kerry. Yeah. Um, I don't know the detail of the story because this is again from the, my vague years, but um, he he was a, an academic uh, at Oxford, a Rhodes Scholar. I don't know what a Rhodes Scholar is, but I think it's quite impressive. Studies roads, basically. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Road mender. <laughs> um, <laughs> but. Um, he uh, and he was a New Zealand international, and um, was uh, decided to play. He needed needed to do something in between his studies, I suppose, take the pressure off. So he came and played for us, and was pretty majestic, really. There's a his his post Oxford story is quite an interesting one because it circles right back to eventually circles right back to the club. So he became an, a sports psychologist who uh, did a lot of work with the All Blacks to get their mindset back together again. I don't know much about rugby. They weren't doing very well, but uh, he, he was their sports psychologist, got their winning mindset going again. They won some World Cup or something, uh, but they wrote the book. There's a book written about that whole process and that became 
Michael Appleton's Bible, his go-to text for the uh, the revolution that uh, Appleton put in place at Oxford. In, apparently, Appleton insisted that on all the players buy the book. It was, um, you know, it, it was. That's it, the no dickhead policy. Is that right? Is that that's what it, they call yeah. it? Yeah the, yeah, the no dickhead. I mean, it's a long, it's quite a long book. And the no dickhead policy is pretty much the thing that um, that jumps out uh, from that entire book. But th- there's more to it than that. Most of it's kind of, it's all about sort of Maori traditions and things like that. But yeah, the no dickhead policy is the one that, that stands out. Kerry Evans, not only very good defender for Oxford, but actually in some ways fueled the, uh, the, the promotion in 2015, 2016. So I thought he was worthy of a spot. Without that, uh, I do remember him playing. I mean, that was my kind of peak era, the kind of early 90s. And he was he was a colossus um, and just tall, strong and just really good defender. No nonsense at all. He also marked Gary Lineker out of the game once in an international New Zealand against England. He's got uh, Kerry Evans on the near post with De Jong. Side up with Woods. Oh, he's dropped it and it's been hooked over by Dunford. At the moment, it's Lineker with Evans and Lineker gets away but can't produce a shot to trouble the goalkeeper. Okay, then we were going, oh, may we, monsieur. You know what? I think when things start to go wrong, you need players like Christoph Remy just as a fan, just to keep you kind of centered. I think there's there's something about a overseas player coming to your club when you're at the size of Oxford. It's like they're doing you a favour. They don't have, I mean, they've got the choice of anywhere in the world to play and they choose to play at your club. And things weren't going great around that time. Things, that's the early, you know, we were just being promoted, but, but you could sort of see the wheels were slowly starting to fall off financially. And I think Remy uh, just kind of he was he, he just he was just a nice guy, and um, and he was he was very sophisticated because obviously he's French, you know him and Benji Bichel just nice guys to have around the place. That's 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 all I'm that's that's my main criteria for selecting these players. I'm funnily enough, I am Facebook friends with Christoph Remy. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's just a really really nice guy. He would always stop and chat when I was selling the fanzine outside the ground. Um, just a yeah, really, really lovely top fella. I'm delighted you've, you've put him in your team, <laughs> even though he's not a full international. No, I mean, it, I, I think the full internationals, uh, if I was going to be able to provide full internationals for the whole team, I would have been struggling, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, so uh, it's, the, it's an overseas 11. All right, who's going left back then? It's it's the modern day Christoph Remy. <laughs> it's uh, exactly the same principle, really. Is that you know the the, the uh, post Michael Appleton uh, year year with uh, with Pep Clatet was not exactly the most comfortable. It, it all seemed to be kind of going wrong. It was a painful year of transition, but uh, but Ricardinho again, he's come from Brazil to play for us you know I mean that's just a privilege in itself isn't it I think he's our only Brazilian ever to play for us um so and uh, and he smiled a lot which was nice plus of course he was uh, he was very well known for um a spectacular sending off against MK Dons uh, which he inexplicably scythed uh one of their players in half 
for no obvious reason um, and got himself a straight red, which may even have been his last game for us, actually. But it, it was one of those challenges where you can't, he was just such a nice guy. You went, well, he's not that type of player, even though he had evidently, he was evidently that type of player. He would happily hack a player down and break his legs. But, you know, what a nice guy. Right. So that's my uh, formidable back four. I've, I've got to say, I'm, I've gone 4 4 2. Post-1990, every single bloody team, it seemed, tried to do the sweeper system that England kind of fluked their way into in, in the 1990 World Cup. And uh, obviously the heart of our sweeper system was none other than former England international Steve Foster. You wrote an amazing piece about Steve Foster, I noticed, in one of your former blogs when I was researching this. Well, so the, so the thing about uh, Steve Foster, the thing I really remember about Steve Foster is he's played four different clubs and uh, where he's played more than 100 games, which is pretty remarkable, really. Um, so Brighton, Brighton twice uh, in two different periods. Portsmouth, which I never knew he played for, and us, of course. Luton? Um, Luton as well. Surely he won the cup with Luton, didn't he? Sorry, he did. Yeah, so it's... Oh, right, OK. <laughs> Are you making up facts, Oxblogger? No, no, no. <laughs> No, he played, um, oh, oh, hang on, he didn't play 100 games for Oxford. Yeah, I'm just making stuff up here. So so more than 100 games for Portsmouth, Brighton twice, and Luton. And he was five games off 100 for, for Oxford. So uh, nearly 700 games he played. It, it, it was a funny one. I mean, I think he, he wasn't a fan's favourite at Oxford. And I certainly think, I mean, it's definitely kind of nearing the end of his useful life, I think, as, as a central defender. And I think that kind of headband as well, just kind of the headband and the perm just kind of annoyed people and put people off him a bit, maybe. Um, well, he was a brand, wasn't he? Yeah. You know, I think that's I think that was part part of the challenge is that, you know, once you're a brand, you can't age at that point. You've got to he's got to perform at a certain level all the time. Again, this is this is not my this is not my strength, strong area. I've got to say his his career. But um it wasn't the hottest. He played in the 82 World Cup, though. I think he may he be one of the rare Oxford United World Cup players. Um, I've got some footage of that, actually. I've got his only moment in an England shirt, which <laughs> only moment on YouTube captured in, in an England shirt. I searched high and low for this for archive footage of him in the World Cup. Um, not a great deal on there. We've got looking slightly awkward singing this time more than any other time. Unlike Keegan, Keegan's playing himself into that. Keegan loves it. Right? He absolutely loves a good sing along, Keegan. Uh, and this, I think, is his only actual moment of any use in an English show. That was him kicking the ball slightly clear just before the full time whistle. <laughs> That's all like, literally, all I could find of him in an England shirt, but that is from the 1982 World Cup. Alongside Steve Foster, who else to go for but the magnificent Andy Melville? Just a really good, solid defender. Um, haven't got anything funny to say about Andy Melville at all, other than that he was really good. Um, yeah, no, he was class, wasn't he? In fact, if you look you look back at the team of that early, that, those early 90s, it is punctuated by some great, some players you, you kill for having now or at any other time, frankly. And Melville was definitely, he was, he was, a, he was a class defender. Yeah, it really was. Um, just solid, good in the air, um, fast. 
I mean, you, you wonder what it'd be worth now, given the, the money we seem to sell defenders for these days. But um, I think we sold them for quite good money as well, didn't, even then, didn't we? Like, did they go to Sunderland after us? He did go to Sunderland, yeah, yeah. Um, I know, I'm not sure what the I'm not sure what the deal was. And I think we got Anton Rogan in return, which didn't seem like a particularly fair exchange. But... <laughs> now, alongside Melville, I'm going for, as I said, a, a, a back five. Matt Elliott, I remember being so angry during the 98 World Cup that he didn't make it onto the pitch. Um, I claim Scottishness. I, I support Scotland uh, at football. Um, and I was absolutely livid. I almost threw, threw away my Scottish passport in disgust at the fact he didn't make it onto the pitch because without doubt, he is the greatest footballer in the history of football. <laughs> How'd you get from there? <laughs> He was. I mean, he was though, wasn't he? I mean, he, you know, the the the, the uh, you know, you've got you've got Messi, you've got Pele, uh, you've got um, you've got Ronaldo, uh, you've got Maradona, and you've got Elliot. That's, that's that order. That's, that's the pantheon of the greats, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so that's my 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 solid back three. There's not a great deal of pace there. I'm not going to lie. Melville's probably digging us out of a little hole, but I mean, he's still not hugely quick. It's kind of screaming out for um, for Phil the Gilchrist to do some uh, some mopping up. Uh, unfortunately, doesn't doesn't fit. Never never played international. Never played international football. Um, now, who's that? So this took me this took me ages to work out who this was, and I've got nothing to say about him. Not because I don't like him. This is David Bardsley, isn't it? This is David Bardsley, um, who played two matches for England pretty soon after we sold him, actually. Um, all the other players who've ever played for England and Oxford have always had, uh, have always, there's always been a considerable amount of time between them playing for us and playing yeah. for England. Um, but Bardsley, we sold to QPR and within a couple of seasons, I'm sure he was playing for England. And he actually had two really good games for England, but never got picked ever again after that. I think he fell out with Graham Taylor. Um, but David Bardsley was a brilliant, brilliant player. Like, unbelievably brilliant, cultured on the ball, brilliant going forward. He replaced the irreplaceable in David, David Langan. You know, everyone thought when Langan came to the end of his kind of usefulness, people were like, how are we going to replace him? And Bardsley really, really did. Like, an unbelievably fantastic player. As I say, I, I don't remember a lot about him, which is really helpful for mm. this. <laughs> 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 Thanks. <laughs> but, he's, but he is what he, he was one of those players. He, there is that sort of um, post glory days uh, number number of players that, like you say, that, that that when you look back, you think they were they were players. They were really good. But because because of what came before, the, the, what came before kind of cast a shadow over them. So that, so, yeah. so a lot of people would miss a David Bardsley. I mean, in fact, he he played for England, albeit under Graham Taylor. But you know, there aren't there aren't too many full England internationals. That, that, that also played for Oxford, yeah. So, class player. Not that I can remember anything about him. Player, yeah. So that's that's my that's my right wing back sorted. Uh, my left wing back, uh, Sam Ricketts. Um, I'll explain why I've put him in later on. You, you need to see the rest of the team, I think, to understand why why I've sneaked Ricketts in above, say, Neil Slatter, for instance. But so, um, so just before we go any further, are the proportions on that photo right? <laughs> um, yeah that's a good point I don't um, remember him being like that <laughs> <laughs> seems a bit a bit pinched 
Uh, for those listening, <laughs> for those listening to the podcast, uh, I recommend you have a look at this on our, our new YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, he does, his face does look smaller than his arms. There is that. Is that normal? I don't remember him looking like that. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe he did. Maybe you know. Maybe he's just in a really strong wind or something at the time. Yeah. That OB is my. That's my back five sorted. Come on then, OB. Tell me about your magical midfield. Okay. So I had two uh, two issues uh, in choosing this midfield. One is the Republic of Ireland issue, which is um, all our Republic of Ireland internationals were born in the UK and it sort of didn't feel quite right to fit them in. So uh, I omitted people like Ray Houghton. Houghton. And Houghton with a shot and it's there! So I didn't really know what to make of that, that midfield. So my first defender at uh, midfielder is right up to date so Alex Alex Gorin enforcer in midfield definitely fits the nice guy image of this team but but a beast on the field I, I, I really like Gorin I've always been slightly disappointed he doesn't have a Macam accent given that he played up there and I don't know if you remember that fast show character Julio Giordio record Colombian signing nice to have you back on the show thanks very much Tony like Who's he playing alongside then? This no, is, no, then. yeah, so this is uh, Ahmed Kashi. He didn't really play with us for very long. Really, for one game only, uh, I liked Kashi. I mean, he's an, he's another enforcer. So, I mean, you don't want to be playing in the middle of midfield against these lot, this lot, because, um, you know, you're going get, to get your legs kicked off. But, but Kashi, my favourite Ahmed Kashi game was away at Walsall. I don't know if you went to it. I know the one you mean, it's, though. Uh, it was towards the end of the season, um, and it sort of signalled a bit of a turnaround for Carl Robinson. But the thing about Kashi is that he he started the game, he then got booked, he then got substituted, he then uh, he, we then scored, he ran onto the pitch, the pitch to celebrate, and um, and then he got a second yellow card, so he got sent off. And then at the end of the game, he came back onto the pitch in order to clap the fans. I don't think there's another Oxford player who's been on and off of the same pitch in 90 minutes in, in all its history. I'm prepared to be challenged on that, but but I'm pretty sure that's a record. I'm, I'm not going to check, but yeah, I, to I totally believe you. Um, it reminds me a bit of the story of Dean Windass, who got sent off three times in one game in Aberdeen. I mean, that's, this is almost kind of, we're almost talking international football here. Dean Windass playing for Aberdeen. Absolutely. Um, he got sent off three times in one game. I think once for, once was a straight red for a foul. Uh, then he basically told the referee where to go. Um, so having been sent off, he got sent off again for telling the referee where to go. And then as he walked off the pitch, he kicked the corner flag out of the ground um, and got sent off a third time. So he got three red cards in one game, which signalled the end of his Aberdeen career, which meant he came to us. So he, so he fell out with Aberdeen at that point, had he? Yeah. So I, I mean, we're, we're getting distracted here, but I followed Dean Windass quite a lot because I lived in Hull for three years. And for two of those years, uh, Windass was playing for Hull. And he was obviously this unbelievably good player. Um, and then they, Hull were in such financial ruin at the time, they sold him to Aberdeen. I, I kind of followed his career because I thought, you know, that would be, you know, what a great player he was. I, I'd seen a really great player there. He went to Aberdeen, started off brilliantly, was called like Aberdeen's Paul Gascoigne because Gazza was still in, in the SPL at the time. Um, and then it all started crumbling, started going a bit wrong. And then this, this triple sending off happened. Uh, 
And then a few months later, he joined us. I literally couldn't believe it. I thought this is too good to be true. And of course it was because he left us you know, six months later. I was going to say, because we were broke at the time and then blew £850,000 on him, which seemed insane um, and turned out to be insane. I think it was 400, but we didn't pay anything until we got the money. Basically, I think that was right, that okay. was how it worked. I thought it was more. Oh no, we sold him for 850. We sold him for 850. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we digress. So um, a magnificently tough tackling midfield yeah. there. Yeah. Surely you need a bit of width though, don't you? In yeah. your attacking 4-4-2? Throw them in. When I started going through this, when I started putting this team together, this was prior to Ryan Williams being. Uh, actually re-signing for us so this is this is not Ryan Williams as he is now this is Ryan Williams as he was during the Animalartes season uh, another sort of bright spot in a bleak year which uh, is another characteristic of this team and on the other wing but this is John Paul Pittman he's the only left winger I could find basically and regular readers of the blog will know that I don't know my left and my right particularly. So he might have been a right winger for, for all I know. I had no idea he was American. I quite liked him as a player. I thought he was okay. I had no idea he was American. Yeah. Did he have an American accent or? I don't know that much. Maybe dig out some footage of him talking. Played talking all the way through my career. Played against uh, the manager. Had some good battles and some good, you know, scuffles. But yeah, that's all part and parcel of, of football, you know. Okay, so that's my... Uh... Tough tackling midfield. Who are they up against? Who have you got? We playing with three in the mid in in the midfield, are we? Well, you see, I'm I'm very modern. I'm I'm going to I'm going for the classic modern three four three or five two three. I'm going, not going to lie because I was I, I was sticking to to internationals, not just pulling out any any old names like some people around here. Um, <laughs> uh, I uh, was a bit limited, really. I, so I've gone for an all Northern Ireland midfield. Darren Patterson, who I, I had a bit of, I, I don't know, I really liked Darren Patterson. I, I kind of wished he'd been our manager for a bit longer. I certainly wished he'd been our manager when that awful season that, that we went down. I think he definitely would have kept us up. But he was just like a, he was just a great bloke. You know, he tried, he tried his hardest. He wasn't ever brilliant, but he just, he was a right good trier. And I think that would work really well alongside uh, Jim McGilton, who obviously was a great player for us. That's a cracking partnership, isn't it? You've got your, like you say, you've got that enforcer. Although I'd have put Patterson back in the back four, I think, um, talking about taking liberties. Um, yeah, I was struggling. I'm not going to lie to you. I was struggling to find any other midfielders, actually, of a international quality. So I had, although I'm guessing from what you're saying that you didn't see him play, Steve Perriman, who played one game for England, 700 games for Tottenham. Uh, and a handful of games for us around uh, the 1986 season. In fact, might be, if I'm right, uh, he missed out on the Milk Cup final only because he was cup-tied. He, played, he played the game before and the game after. So uh, Steve Perriman was, was one. I also, the other one was Chris Maguire, although it might be taking liberties a little bit because he was more of an attacker than midfielder. But Chris Maguire played for Scotland, so... I feel deeply embarrassed that I didn't know that. Um, um, so that's my that's my midfield because it's a, obviously a very fluid three four three. Um, I, I yeah I just have the the two holding midfielders there really. Yeah, I mean J McGilton was a he was class, wasn't he? I mean the, the goal he scored. I looked at this the other day. The goal he scored against Leeds in the cup ninety four or something like that. Just before he left, actually, it was his last game before he it was left. His last game, wasn't it? Yeah, a just majestic chip, unbelievable um, to 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 finish like that against that sort of team in that sort of environment. Probably why I ended up going to Southampton. 
I was, I mean, that game, that Leeds game was such a game. We were 2-0 up and cruising, if memory serves me correct, with about no minutes left. And then yeah, yeah, did Strachan score both for them? I can't remember. But Leeds scored twice in literally the last two minutes, which sent it to, to extra time. When the second goal went in for Leeds, I kicked my bed so hard, I actually broke my foot. <laughs> I was absolutely mortified. And I thought, because we're having such a bad season at the time, it, you know, we were selling players in financial difficulty uh, and to be 2-0 up for the second time, because we've been 2-0 up in the first leg, the first what leg, what was it called? The first yeah. tie. Uh, <laughs> then it went to a replay. We're 2-0 up again. We let two goals in and then it was over. We were, we were surely doomed. And then Magilton lobbed that beautiful one in. What yeah. a day. And then we sold him the next day. Yeah, I think there's like an interview with him immediately after, literally in between the game and him disappearing. You know, he's still an Oxford player. And then about, what, it must have been 12 hours later, He'd gone. You know. Literally, as soon as they turned off the camera, he was in the car out of it. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> See you later, guys. Um, cool. Uh, shall I do, I'll, shall I do my wide players then as well? Shall I? Well, I say wide players. I'm probably talking about his waist more than anything else. But um, I've gone for Phil Gray. Only again, because probably I was, I was trying to get a nice kind of spread of kind of the, the home nations in my team. I was also struggling a little bit for international players that I've seen play. But I saw Phil Gray play. Um, the other reason I picked him is I've now got three players in my 11 who were part of the worst Oxford team of all time. And that, so that worst Oxford team of all time had three internationals in it, which I kind of like. I mean, only we could do that, really. <laughs> I don't remember much about Phil Gray. Always needed a shave. Um, scored a few goals for us. He did. He was, and, and uh, he was one of those players that, that, that had a bit of class about him. Uh, and you knew that he was... I mean, I think he was probably coming to the end of his career, wasn't he, when he when he joined us? But um, yeah, he he had a bit a bit of class around. He just didn't have the supply. He was top scorer for a couple of seasons, I think. Now, <laughs> look too closely at that photo. It's quite a famous photo. That's a, a very young uh, Dean Saunders. That's the season we signed Dean Saunders. And when we signed Dean Saunders in 1986, I'd heard of him. And I'd heard of him because he was notorious in the press for having posed that particular shot. And if you look very, very, very closely, he's revealing a little bit more than perhaps you'd want to do in a team photo. And he did it as a joke. Um, so he made all the national newspapers and then we signed him six months later and he actually turned out to be quite good. So don't look too closely at that photo because you will see slightly more than you're hoping for. That is Dean Saunders. I, I can't not look now. <laughs> if you look at the shirt, even the shirt's giving you a clue. Yeah, yeah, it's like subtitled, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously a really, really good player and almost, almost replaced, again, the irreplaceable, um, to, to fill John Aldridge's boots with relative success is no mean feat. So yeah. good player, good perm. Although kind of revi reviled, reviled, is that the right word? Uh, now, I mean, as a, as a pundit, as a, you know, a co-commentator, for somebody, who, like you say, it was, he's right up there in terms of the best strikers that we've ever had. I think Oxford fans don't particularly like him, you know, just because of how he is as a co-commentator. I feel like I've, I might as well finish my team now, Obi. Um, up front, on his own, leading the line, none other than Jeremy Charles, uh, who I saw his last game for us was my very first game watching Oxford United. Um, 
So for that reason, I had to kind of put him in. Yeah, no, no, I can't. I couldn't. I, he was one of those players that I did have in my 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 own secret internationals eleven. Uh, although I had him partnering Billy Hamilton because I just thought it'd be brilliant to have two players who were almost identical playing against each other. So um, well, playing with each other. Sorry, absolutely no pace, all height. Yeah, I mean Charles was a uh, again probably slightly overlooked really because he partnered all of Go on then, who, which wonderful international strike duo have you gone for? We haven't signed many international strikers in our time. The first one, I believe, will be... Actually, this surprised me, and this is Wikipedia, so it may be wrong. Uh, Yemi Odebedi uh, was born in Lagos in Nigeria, apparently. So, uh, so he's my probably unexpected, uh, one of my unexpected strikers yet again. A moment of light in a in a in a bleak time. I remember I'm so actually. Glad I went you said to the that, Obi, because I loved him as well. I mean that that he was an awful team. You know that that team of the in the first year in the conference was one of the hardest to watch teams you could ever imagine, apart from Yemi. I absolutely loved Yemi. He was such a bundle of fun and joy and pace and trickery, and yeah, he he got things wrong. He kicked the ball into the stand sometimes, but. Yeah, I loved him. He was he was a, a, a ray of sunshine in a dreadful team. There was two moments with him in particular. The first was the first time we ever saw him, which was uh, we played in an FA Cup game at Eastbourne when in that relegation season, and we pretty much filled one side of the ground as as you would expect. And it was it was classic big league team going to a tiny. It was a big day for them, and um, and we looked like we were in control. Although we had only scored, I think Steve Basham had scored, we were one up. And he came on probably with about 10 minutes to go or something. And there was just this buzz around the whole of the Eastbourne, all, all the Eastbourne stands. You know, it was it was like a big deal that he was coming on. This was the, and I think he, you know, this was this was the moment, you know, he was the impact player. And I think he may have conceded the penalty, which uh, we then, uh, uh, that, um, you know, led to their, their last minute equaliser. Um, and then he ran us, the other weird thing, and this is not my second memory, this is, the, the weird thing about that, the following game is he ran us ragged in that, that return game, hit the bar, you know, all sorts of stuff. He, he absolutely ran us ragged and we won 3-0. It was the most undeserved thrashing I've ever I've ever seen and and, um, and 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 as a result he, he signed for us the other the other moment the other moment of just pure joy actually and and genuinely remember the feeling of when it happened was we played Dagenham towards the end of that first season in the conference at Oxford and it was sort of a title decider although by that point I think we'd pretty much the wheels had fallen off Phil Gilchrist's shoulder had fallen off uh, who else did? Rufus Brevitt's legs had fallen off everybody's it, it, all of those players never made it through the whole season but there was this sort of decider and and um I think they went a goal up they went a goal up and then and then Odebedi came on sorry Yemi Yemi came on and um and he scored an audacious goal from 40 yards 45 yards or something and I just remember watching the ball arcing in to the into the net and just that sort of just just the feeling of joy 
of it of it happening and uh yeah no i mean he was just just fantastic he just and even now people people just love him don't they so so who have you got him alongside so yeah look at that one of the greats one <laughs> of the greats that's uh christaps christaps grievous probably the greatest lithuanian to ever play for oxford i would say i'm going out on a limb he's there, certainly up there I, mean, I hope he's lithuanian. Yeah. i mean he's in the top three or four i would say i mean how many games did he play what two maybe how many times do you touch the ball once maybe you know what a what a what a career i would love to know i would love to know how we signed him what what was the thought process i mean other than jim smith knowing an agent somewhere funnily enough that season i'm going to save most of the stories for when we do an episode on that season but that season i was filming a bit behind the scenes Uh, i did kind of a, a thing for the bbc website where i basically spent a lot of the season filming behind the scenes and shortly after we signed him um I had a, a chat with him he spoke absolutely no English but Chris Williams was doing the the the, the translations and literally could tell he did not want to be there at all um just yeah a very 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 strange strange thing I remember saying to Andy Burgess because I was determined for that team to uh turn the season on We're, we started off like an absolute train that season we we're beating everyone uh, and then the wheels started coming off around November, December time. And was it Stevenage? No, Dagenham overtook us that year, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. And basically, we were playing this dreadful five at the back system with five central defenders and no width at all, it seemed. Uh, and I kept saying to Andy Bird, we need to play 4-4-2. And he said, we haven't got the players to do 4-4-2. And I said, yes, we have. We've got Grevis now. Uh, we do Grevis and Duffy up front. We have you, Andy, on, on the left, Yemi on the right. And that's your 4-4-2. And he said, have you seen Grebis play? We've seen him in training and he's the worst player I've ever seen. So. <laughs> yeah, just the strangest period. Although, you know, a lasting legacy. He's a go-to. He's the go-to player when you want to talk about somebody obscure. If you need a joke or something, you, you can always drop in a, a Grebis joke, um, you know, if, if things are quiet. So, um, yeah, a kind of living legend in many ways. Cool. Right. Um, do you want to do your subs now then? Let's, let's do well, your sub and your manager. Where are you yeah, going with your sub? School. Single sub. Single sub. Old school, like 90, early 19 or late 1980s. One sub. Yeah, Here yeah. we go. That wasn't, I wasn't expecting that photo. Yeah. I, mean, I knew you weren't. <laughs> I mean, I said earlier that, um, you know, you can track our, our trajectory by the, the central defenders we, um, we signed, particularly around the 90s. So Phil Gilchrist, Matt Elliott, people like Mark Watson. And then then Brian Wilsterman was one of those. People loved him because he was another one of those, those players that, you know, why would he come to us? Still don't really know. Prone to mistakes. Just a joy to have in the team, really. Um, and I, I, it, it sort of came, came to me late that he should be included. I started off trying to create a team of the best team. And, uh, and unfortunately, Wilsterman would never get into the best international Oxford United team. But it seemed wrong not not to include him somewhere. So that's an old photo, though. It really is, yeah. I, I've tried I've tried my best with the photos to dig up some really kind of funny ones, and that one just made me chuckle. It's actually a proper panini sticker as well because it's a double one. Uh, I've cropped out the other side, but it's like a literally a double panini sticker. So, what are they called? Is there a phrase for a double sticker? Is it just a double? I'm not special, not specialist in the in this in this area, unfortunately. Um, Only not shiny, and he's not. It's not shiny. 
Now, there's only one there's only one place you're going to go for the manager. You'll be I'd be disappointed if you didn't go for anyone else. Go on, tell us who. Yeah, go on. So that is astonishingly that's <laughs> Ramon Diaz. What a manager. I mean, there was just so much. I mean, we could do another this is another one where you could do a whole episode on Ramon Diaz. This is the Argentinian Alex Ferguson. Uh, I believe uh he beat Chris Turner to the Oxford job. And I can't remember who left before him, possibly Graham Ricks. Was there anybody between Ricks and him? Can't remember. That era, probably. Yeah. Just, about five I mean, managers. There was something to do with uh, it was something to do with him taking over the whole club, wasn't it? He, he brought in a ton of other backroom staff. He brought in a load of, they all seemed to play on the wing. They all seemed to be Argentinian. None of them wanted to be there. Um, uh, so he brought in a load of load of players. Diaz's background is quite interesting because he was a he was an Argentinian international. He played in Italy, so he was a very very successful player himself. And he was uh, best mates with Diego Maradona, um, but uh, at some point fell out with Maradona around '82. I think he played in the '82 World Cup, um, and uh, and then mysteriously never played for the national team again. So. Um, I think the, the rumour goes that it was Maradona who kept Ramon Diaz out of the Argentinian team just because he didn't like him. The thing I remember, and, and, and other people kind of forget about this, and maybe it didn't even happen, is that I remember at the end of that season that he was manager, I think we were playing South End. It was the last game of the season, and he... Didn't he try to storm the stadium? Something like that, yeah. He, he sort of paraded around the ground with, you know, and his entourage trying to get in for some reason. There'd been some big falling out. He, he stood down at that point and then um, and then he was, yeah, he tried to storm the stadium. I seem to remember fans ignoring the game and just sort of chanting, let him in, you know. <laughs> we could have just paid on the turnstile like everyone else, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> I don't carry cash. <laughs> yeah, Ramon Diaz. Um, he did score in 1982. I think he scored a couple of goals. Um, not even playing opposite Steve Foster, so you know, he must have been quite good. Huh? <laughs> I've got an, an image of Ramon Diaz and Steve Foster talking about you know Oxford United, and maybe that's where Ramon Diaz got the idea yeah, to come yeah. and join. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine Foster telling him that he you know he wasn't highlighted his career, but if he was ever around that way. <laughs> Um, in 30 years' time, that maybe you should, um, you know, up. <laughs> well, Obi, I have to say that is a brilliant, brilliant 11, plus a fabulous sub, and I think with that genius manager, I think your team is looking strong. Will it be able to beat my team, though? I haven't quite finished mine. Let me show Go you on. my last selections. Now, I've had to break my rule very slightly about only picking players that I've seen play, because my substitute... Scott Gemmell, one T, I have not seen play for Oxford United, but I just couldn't resist picking him, partly because the name Gemmell is so synonymous with the World Cup. Um, I also love the fact, I found this out today, that Scott, his name, is actually short for Scotland. His real name is Scotland Gemmell, and I absolutely love that fact. That's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, if you had seen him play... That would have been quite something because wasn't it a substitute appearance at Mansfield or something that he he enjoyed it so much that he emigrated to New Zealand? He was off to find Kerry Evans. <laughs> <laughs> um, Scott Gemmell, yeah, uh, 
quite a successful Scotland career, although like Matt Elliott, he never played, he was at the 98 World Cup, but never made it onto the pitch. And then, yeah, joined us. And as you say, played, I think about 10 minutes and then got the hell out of there. Wasn't he even meant to be a coach for us? Maybe he looked at the squad and thought, there's no way I'm, I'm coaching this shower. I think he, I think he was down as, um, wasn't he defensive coach? I'm trying to think who would have been in the defence at that time. Chris Leo Lula. Roger and... Uh, <laughs> yeah no I mean I, I I I like him because of his dad really I loved Archie Gemmell I thought he was a, a cracking player I love your blog about him I'm, I'm going to keep plugging your blog all day Ox Blogger but um uh your blog about Scott Gemmell which is basically all about Scott Gemmell's dad um <laughs> well worth a read I think I covered him com- you know I think I covered Scott comprehensively didn't I <laughs> the entire Oxford career he didn't mention his name was Scotland but no, that's a crack. That is a great fact. Well, it's according to uh, according to Wikipedia, um, my manager. Who else? What a guy! Proper <laughs> <laughs> nothing to say about Graham Ricks. Ob. Oh, I, I mean, the thing the thing I remember about Ricks is, um, I mean, you've got to admire his commitment to his principles because he was brought in as one of the country's greatest, you know, coach, greatest young coaches, which we had a, quite a lot of that sort of stuff. He's one of the young, you know, the great young coaches in in the country. And he took over from Ian Atkins, didn't he? Um, Who obviously was also one of the great young coaches in the country. Very progressive Mm. with, um, you know, launching the ball 40 yards up to Julian Alsop. And the thing I do remember about Ricks is his first game. He brought in Courtney Pitt on the wing and he was just, Courtney Pitt was synonymous with what was going wrong at the club then. He just, Pitt didn't care. He wasn't interested in being there. He, he, he felt completely alien. And the, uh, but, but the thing I do remember is, because because Ricks was committed to a passing game at Oxford and obviously inherited the, the Ian Atkins style or the players, sorry. And I got I have this mental image, which may or may not be true, of of people like um, oh, who was the um, who was the Crosby? What's his first name? The Andy Andy Crosby. Andy Crosby. Yeah, it's the 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 memory of Andy Crosby, uh, kind of uh, passing the ball along the six yard box with whoever was it possibly was Chris Wilmot or you know it was just Bound, Matty Bound was it would it be Matt Bound that's it yeah all trying to play sort of tick attacker three yards out from their own goal just to satisfy Rix's kind of obsession with the passing game it was going wrong from from day one wasn't it uh, with him in many in many many ways <laughs> I have a slight guilty confession I, can't, I was so desperate for it it to work for Ricks because I hated the Atkins ball you know I hated that long ball stuff my my spirit my love of Oxford was waning so much watching these kind of five central defenders launching these long balls forward all the time so when Atkins went I was so relieved I just desperately wanted it to work out for Ricks because I, I wanted us to be able to play you know Chris Hackett and I wanted us to play with two wingers like football should be played and it was just an absolute disaster. As you say, he tried too quickly to change it and uh, it all went wrong. <laughs> um, so that's my team. Who's going to win? Who's, who's winning? My all-star UK 11 or your international team? Well, I mean, I, th- I did think this as I was kind of going through the, the options. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, I mean, in the end, these are internationals, whereas uh, mine were, were not uh, 
So, I, I mean, I, this is a class 11, isn't it? This uh, this international 11. Yeah, I mean, pretty good. I'm going to get to Paul Key, so that's not an issue. But the rest of them, yeah, it's, that's that's the, the, the quality's right there. I think because my team's being managed by Graham Ricks, your team is going to win. So, um, yeah, and you've got you've got Scott Gemmell to come on for the last 10 minutes before he <laughs> emigrates to New Zealand. So let me give you some of the options that I had. As I say, you know, Chris, Chris Maguire I had in there. Um, Mark Wright. You know, you see, I never saw Mark Wright play. I saw him manage, unfortunately, but I never saw him play. So, uh, yeah, I couldn't have Mark Wright in there. But. So Mark Wright, I don't think I saw Mark Wright's first game, but I saw his first start. And this is a bit of a kind of story from like a family story with, mm. where my, my dad turned to me as a young boy and he said, he'll play for England one day, that boy, about Mark Wright. And he did. And I always thought that you'd get one of those, you know, in a lifetime, you would get that kind of prediction once you'd just do it. So I predicted Paul Powell would play for England and I was absolutely proved wrong. He drank for England, so... <laughs> he did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was world-class. Christian Ribeiro. Now, Chris Ribeiro, I was watching... <laughs> I'm going to sound really sad now. I was watching Homes Under the Hammer the other day. <laughs> okay. And he was on. He bought... He's a property developer. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to find this because I... I sent a picture to a friend saying, guess what I've just seen on Homes Under the Hammer? I took a, a screen grab of it. Chris Ribeiro was on Homes Under the Hammer. Extraordinary. <laughs> That's a story. That's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, why, why wasn't he there? <laughs> um, I'm horrified you didn't put David Langan in your team, I must admit. So I selected my team before we kind of nailed the Republic of Ireland rule. Um, so Langan, yeah, should go, go in. Aldridge should go in. Houghton should go in. It just seemed a little too easy. Yeah, um, cheating. Yeah. So, uh, but but no, absolutely. I mean, Langan should have would would normally make it. That's three, and that's victory. So that's two fantastic teams. But uh, you know, it's not up to us who who wins. I'll tweet out a, a poll for people to decide who their favourite is. In great uh, tradition of these sorts of things, why not give us your eleven as well? If you enjoyed this, then. We think we might give it another go and we'd like to do the greatest story ever told, which is the story of the 2000-2001 season in which we conceded 100 goals. And it was the last season at the Manor and Derek Lilly was held up at gunpoint while he was on holiday. So and, and that just three of the stories of the many that come out of the 2000-2001 season. So we'd like to do that. If you'd like to get involved, this is um, we, we uh, we'd, we'd like uh, more people involved in this to chat through their memories of various things uh, uh, related to Oxford, um, get in touch. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. The unbelievable has happened and a dream has come true.